definitely 10 years ago when I started, the only people using natural fragrances, I think, were people who were shopping in like hippie kind of health food stores. (laughs) And it was very much part of that realm. And one of my things when I first launched the business was that I did not want it to be that at all. Welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe, and I also produce the show. In this series, we talk to women across different industries about a big career or life change they made, how it came about, and where it took them next. Today, I'm speaking with Sally Woodward-Hawes, a graphic designer who also runs her own natural perfume business called Aromantic. Sally had a thriving career in the publishing world before deciding to leave office life to work for herself and develop her skills as a natural perfumer. At the time, the natural beauty market was in its infancy and there were very few people making natural fragrances in Australia or around the world. But 10 years on, Sally's business has grown along with people's appetite for non-synthetic products and her signature perfumes are in high demand. I wanted to find out more about what sparked Sally's move into such a unique field and what it's taken to develop her side hustle into a flourishing business. Here's my chat with Sally Woodward-Hawes. So Sal, thanks for coming in today. I wanted to step back a bit first to your design career, which is what you started out doing. Yeah. So what did you study at uni and what was your first design job? Um, so I studied visual communication straight out of high school at UTS. And after that, I went on to become, I guess, like what you call a junior designer. My first job was in a very small publishing company. It published a lot of self-help books and um, things like that. It ran events and conferences. So that was really kind of my first little um, foray into the publishing world. Right. And was that kind of where your dream was at that point to work in publishing? Not at all. It was kind of by accident that I fell into publishing. So when I finished my degree, I didn't really have much of an idea of what area of design I wanted to go into. Um, so it was something that I guess like just came up and I'd done a few um, like intern type oh. roles, yeah, in like um, advertising agencies and stuff like that. But when this publishing junior position came up, um, I took that and I tended to just kind of, yeah, get on the path into the publishing world. Mm. And then you kept on in publishing because you went to, was it ACP magazines after that? Yeah, so from there um, I went into ACP magazines where I started as a graphic designer in the corporate marketing department and then eventually I became the studio manager of that department and I was there for quite a few years um, and I learnt a lot about like the magazine industry and the publishing world in that position as well. Mm. So what for people that don't really know what a studio manager or even a graphic designer does, can you just give an example of what a typical day might have looked like for you? then? So definitely in that um, small studio at ACP Magazines, um, we'd be designing layouts, designing ads for all the different magazines for their corporate marketing pages. So it was extremely busy, um, dynamic, no two days were the same. Um, We'd also be working on events like things for the Logies or the, Mm. um, yeah, any of the events that ACP Magazines ran at that time. Um, Yeah, so it was being the studio manager, I was still hands-on. So I was on the computer all day designing, um, but I had a really great kind of team working for me. And um, yeah, it was definitely one of my favourite, favourite jobs. Yeah. What did you enjoy about it? 
just that it was so different. Like every day there was a new brief, a new job, so you never really stuck on the same old, you know, boring things. Mm. And it was also, I guess at that time, a fairly young, vibrant team. Um, we all wore whatever we wanted to work. <laughs> um, it was very lax about, you know, what you wore or you could wear thongs if you wanted to. So it was very... It didn't actually feel much like work. It felt a lot like fun at the time. And your whole family's quite creative. I mean, I think your brother is a designer also and your sister works in jewellery. Yeah, so my brother is a um, creative director in New York now. Um, My sister is a jewellery designer. She has her own brand called Linda Tahesia. And, yeah, it's quite strange. We all went into design even though... We were never like pushed in any way. Neither of our parents were designers, although they were both quite creative in their own right. Yeah. Um, and we always kind of talk about the fact it's very unusual that we all went on to be entrepreneurs to some extent. And my brother and I actually did create our own company together quite a few years back. Mm. Yeah, so we all kind of went out there and became quite creative and yeah, entrepreneurial, which I don't know. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> well, look, we'll talk a bit more about the company with your brother later because mm-hmm. I, I think that's really interesting. But I mean, so you were enjoying your design career for a number of years. Yeah. But at what point did you start to get interested in the idea of making perfume? Well, what actually happened, which is a funny little story, um, when I, if I go back to like when I was younger, when I was at high school, I was never really into perfume and stuff like that. I wasn't one of the girls that, you know, was like wearing, you know, all the designer perfume of the times (laughs) or anything like that. But what actually happened was, so my mum passed away when I was 17 and a couple of years after that, I actually inherited her cosmetics case and I was just sitting at home one day and I hadn't opened it for a couple of years and I opened it and suddenly smelling the perfumes that she used to wear it was exactly as though she was kind of beside me um so it was a very very powerful experience for me and it was one where it made me realize that scent is um probably the most instantaneous of our senses in terms of connecting us to like a past memory or a past uh, a place where we've been and that really that obviously that had a huge impact on me and it yeah. I became really interested in fragrance and how it can connect to memory so that was how I kind of got into the wow. whole yeah that's such a beautiful story oh. <laughs> and I can understand then why you've developed such a passion for it because yeah. it's more than just a business it is yeah and so you had that experience mm-hmm. which sounded very powerful yeah. so how did you then make the leap from you know, really becoming interested in that world to teaching yourself how to do it, learning how to do it? Yeah. So um, a couple of years after that, I went and lived in Indonesia. I was there for probably uh, between three and four years. And I became really interested in their traditional natural cosmetics, things that they grind down by hand, you know, the use of like rice powder and all these beautiful natural materials that they use in their natural cosmetics and skincare. So that was my first, I guess, my first interest in terms of uh, natural products. And when I came back to Australia, um, I started making my own natural skincare products using like essential oils and waxes. And I like built up a real library of books. So I was essentially 
self-taught and I think I probably burnt the skin off a few <laughs> friends as guinea pigs for a while there just testing out different things but um that was my that was how I started to I guess connect that real affinity for the the ability of fragrance to kind of connect us to memory with you know actually making and blending things that like fragrances essentially for mm. natural skincare products and body care products so mm. After a little while, I kind of lost interest in, in making, you know, moisturisers and things like that. And I started to focus just on the fragrance component of the products. Right. And, yeah, I I essentially bought pretty much every book you can buy on <laughs> fragrance, perfume. Um, I've got a huge collection and I would l- quite literally come home from my day job and probably spend five or six hours a night training my nose blending oils I was literally making myself high in this tiny room (laughs) because I would just be sniffing essential oils all night wow (laughs) and I I actually did that for probably four or five years um and I really trained my nose and and got to know all the different components of Mm. of fragrance well I read that it took you about two years to make your first fragrance which was a musk based one can you explain why it took that long I guess making a fragrance is very difficult you can add the tiniest amount of something at the wrong juncture and totally throw everything out and go back to the drawing board and then there's also the the aspect of time, so over time, the way the different ingredients kind of blend together to become, I guess, like a um, a whole, everything changes. So it's a little bit like wine, that maturing process of wine. So there's so many, you know, back and forth and back and forth and I'll try this and I'll try that and I'll take that away. So mm. That fragrance, which is called Merchants of Menace, and it's actually still one of my best-selling fragrances, that was essentially I wanted to make that for myself. I still wear it all the time, and, yeah, it it took a solid two years kind of working on that and revising it until I was happy with it. And is that because they're natural fragrances that there is this process of it um, being more sensitive perhaps? Yes, Um the other thing with natural fragrances is that because you're working with a natural product, it varies. So one batch of oil will vary by season. Uh, it, it can be dependent on, you know, rainfall, drought, the sun conditions, when the flowers were picked, how they were distilled. So there's so many um, variants that you don't find in a lab created. Mm. You know, when you're creating molecules in a lab, you can pretty much ensure that they're going to be exactly the same over and over but nature obviously doesn't work that way so um, there's all those little intricacies that you need to take into account. And how did you find the ingredients that you use? I just started sourcing so I predominantly started off using essential oils which I was sourcing from a few different companies. There's New Directions in Sydney. They have a really really big range of Um, raw materials and then I started I guess as I became more confident with the oils the basic kind of oils I started looking overseas and I started sourcing from all over the world. Mm. So what are some of the things that you get your hands on? Um, Oh for example I get um, 
like rose from Bulgaria. Um, I get vanilla from Madagascar. All sorts of things like tonka bean from Ecuador, from the Camores, um, the Elang Elang oil. So it really comes, the patchouli oil comes from Indonesia. Um, it's really like literally all over the world. Mm. So, yeah, it's incredible, like all these different things that come together to go into the final perfume. So I guess you'd found something really unique that you loved doing. At what point did you realise it was something that you could turn into a business? Yeah, so I was just thinking about this the other day and it was really bizarre because at first I was, you know, making all these fragrances and I really had no idea, you know, are they any good? Uh, You know, am I just kind of like making these concoctions and, you know, who's going to wear them? And then there were just a few real, really distinct things that happened, such as I remember the mask perfume that we were just talking about before. I remember wearing that out one day and I went into a store and one of the sales um, sales women, she was kind of following me around the store. And at first I thought she thought I was shoplifting. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, why is this girl just like on my back? And then just as I was about to leave, she was like, oh, you are wearing the most amazing perfume. And she was like, what is it? Can you give me the name of it? And I had quite a few instances like that where people would approach me and I'd, I'd think, oh, you know, I'm, I think I've made something that you know, smells really good because um, I was getting all this kind of feedback from people that weren't family and friends because yeah. <laughs> they tend to say, oh, it's amazing and you never really know whether it is or not. Yeah. And so were you still working full-time at this point or were you freelancing? At that time I was a publications manager for a think tank um, and I'd actually stepped down to doing four days a week so that I could do one day a week on my perfumes. And I was also at the same time building up a few freelance clients. Um, Yeah, so that I could, my plan was really to kind of like leave full-time work and have my freelance design work, I guess, is like bread and butter income while I was building up my other business. Mm. So was it a difficult juggle financially initially, sort of being, well, working part-time, trying to get the business underway? Yeah, it it was, Um, especially when I guess I cut down to four days a week and you have that loss of income and it takes a long time to build up a business and I don't think um, unless you've done it yourself and you've kind of been in there where you're, you know, working like, you know, some nights you're like hardly sleeping or you're giving up your weekends, you're giving up all your, you know, free time essentially. It's really hard to stick at it for I guess the first couple of years until you're you know making you know some income from it Mm. um sometimes you can compare it with oh before I was earning you know this much money when I was full-time and uh, yeah so it's kind of a bit of a slog yeah at the beginning um and did you have a lot of financial outlay at the beginning was it an expensive business to start up uh not not really because I didn't um I guess because it's a very hands-on, like even today I hand make all my products. So it wasn't like I had to purchase like equipment or anything Mm. like that. Right. And I mean, how did you promote yourself initially? I guess just online, like it was, I think it was very early days then in terms of um, like social media. So there wasn't so much of that going on. I kind of went online first and I used to do a lot of markets, like 
markets all over Sydney where I'd like go and I'd talk to people and, you know, they'd try the products. And so a lot of it was really like grassroots kind of, mm. you know, here's my perfume, smell it and and those kind of things. So, And that's such valuable feedback for you in those early stages as well, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, did you find that there's a particular kind of person that's more drawn to natural fragrances? Are there some people that it wasn't for them perhaps? Yeah. Definitely 10 years ago when I started, so I launched in 2010, the only people using natural fragrances I think were people who were shopping in like hippie kind of health food stores <laughs> and it was very much part of that realm. And one of my things when I first launched the business was that I did not want it to be that at all. So my thing was to differentiate it and for natural perfume to be recognised as fragrance in its own right, which really wasn't um, happening back then. There were only a handful of people around the world that were making natural perfumes. So there was so much education in the early days of people, you know, coming up and saying, oh, what's this? And thinking, oh, is it like an oil burner blend? Or is it like there was all of that kind of, um, I guess, like misconception around what is perfume, what is natural perfume. And Mm. I think today I'm really lucky um, to be operating in an environment where there's so much more um, information out there, Mm. I guess, you know, thanks to like, you know, social media and the growth of, you know, the internet and, and people are so much more aware of what they put on their bodies, what they consume, um, and the whole wellness industry has just grown hugely. Um, and that has really, really allowed, I guess, the sector that I work in to really flourish. Mm. So, yeah, I guess even though it probably felt like a bit of a slow build for you at the start, mm. it was probably quite good that you're somewhat ahead of the game because yeah. you, now that it has taken off, you're yeah. very ready for it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> You did also branch out into natural skincare at one point. You mentioned the yes. company that you had with your brother for a period of time. Yeah. You launched that range, which was a men's skincare range, yes. Gentleman's Brand Co. Yes, that's correct. Can you tell me a bit about that and how that came about? Yeah, so my brother and I, I guess both being creative, we always need something to work on. We're very, um, I guess, can't sit still. We're always looking for the next project and we decided, again, it was at a time when there weren't really many men-specific skincare brands around and there definitely were not natural men's skincare brands around. And we kind of looked a bit at um, overseas markets that men's kind of skincare and grooming was just starting to, you know, get on the radar in different parts of the world. So we decided to create a 100% natural men's skincare brand that was all made in Australia and it used a really high um, percentage of native Australian ingredients like kakadu plum, um, lily pili. Um, so it was really using all those like bush elements but, again, making something that wasn't, you know, tacky or kind of cliche Australian into a really sophisticated men's skincare mm. company. So what was your role in that business? My role in the business was um, formulator, um, so I worked with cosmetic chemists on all the formulations for the company and it was also like research and development. So I'd research a lot of the new um, ingredients in terms of like native Australian ingredients that were suddenly available on the market. Okay, and what was your brother's role in the business? 
Um, so at that time, my brother was the creative director or perhaps he was the art director, I can't remember, for um, Deus, which is quite another iconic Australian brand. And so he basically took on all creative direction for the company, all the um, packaging design, pretty much everything, the look and feel was him. Right. And what was that experience like working with a sibling? It was really, really fun and it was also quite challenging at times. Um, I think anyone that's worked with family, you have that, um, you know, you kind of like butt heads on things and you, especially I guess because I also came from a design background and my brother being younger than me, I remember at one stage saying to him, I have an honours design, I have an honours degree in visual communications. And he just like looked at me and just cracked up laughing because I was like, Don't you know who I am? Yeah. I was like, I've done a whole bloody degree in this. No. But um, it was, look, it was really exciting and it was great working with him. Um, and you had some pretty early wins, like big wins early on, didn't you? We did, yeah. So, um, only within, I'd say, the first six months of launching the brand, we were contacted by um, Colette in Paris and we were one of the only Australian brands to be stocked in that store. And then we also went on to be stocked in Barney's in New York. So many doors opened after that. It was like, wow. um, I think, getting into those like two major um, retailers just opened so many doors and we were literally just getting so much interest in the brand that we couldn't really kind of keep up with it. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And so where did it go from there? Because you were in business for a few years. Yeah, we were in business. Um, We had a third business partner that was doing, um, I guess, like sales and marketing. My brother actually ended up, that was one of the reasons that he moved to New York or that he was planning to move to New York, um, was because we had at that stage, the majority of our sales were actually in America And it was just, there were so many lessons learned. It was really the case of a brand that really just grew too quickly. And look, it was the first thing that we'd ever done in that area. And we were just learning on our feet. So it'd be, you know, we'd get like a huge order from overseas and then we'd spend all the profit, you know, um, shipping it over because, you know, we hadn't produced the product in time or there were just so many things that we had to learn. And, you know, it was, it was a really successful brand and then after a few years we decided to sell the business. Well, that's still a successful outcome, you'd say, if there yeah. was enough interest to sell. But, yeah, yeah I mean, it's. I remember reading about how quickly it took off mm. and thinking that just must have been a huge learning curve. <laughs> and, it was. I mean, you were probably still balancing your other mm. work at the same time. Yeah, at that time I had a very small baby. I was still... I was doing a lot of freelance work. I had my perfumes. It was like everything at once. It was like really intense. Mm. And was it disappointing to have to sell or was it the right thing to do? It was disappointing, but when the time actually came, it was just a feeling that it was 100% the right thing to do and that we'd learnt so much and that we could both apply those lessons to whatever we, you know, did in the future. And I'm, you know, I'm sure that my brother and I will work together again at some stage. We've still got a lot of ideas and, yeah, but, no, it was fantastic. It was just, like, amazing, I think, to promote Australian Indigenous um, raw materials overseas and for them to have that spotlight and for Australian skincare to kind of, you know, get on the map in terms of mm. 
what we can produce, which is amazing. Yeah, good on you. And I guess you have been able to perhaps put some of those lessons back into your aromantic yes. natural fragrances, which is still going after 10 years. 10 years, nearly. yeah. I mean, that's such an impressive run, mm. particularly considering you have been still juggling other work and running the whole thing on your own, I yes. gather. I mean, what's kept you going this whole time? Um, I think the number one thing for me has been the passion that I have, not only for the materials themselves, but also for the industry as a whole. When I started out to be a perfumer without being born into a French family or have been, you know, trained in grass at the Institute or um, it's a very closed world and For me, the fact that today perfumers such as myself can operate in that environment and can actually learn to make fragrances is incredible because even, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it just would have been, there would have been no way that you could do it. Mm. Um, So for me, there's never an end to what you can create with fragrance. They'll, you know, you could keep going until the day you die and you still could be creating. So there's no end to it. And the second thing is the customers that I have. It's amazing. I I still have so many customers that literally were buying from me 10 years ago and they're so lovely. Like some of them will send photos of their family. They'll buy gifts (laughs) for different people, but they're so just so supportive and it's incredible to be constantly building that. And Mm. I've really built up relationships with my customers over the years, which sounds really bizarre, but because... (laughs) Because I do everything myself from, you know, research and development, sourcing, I design all the packaging, I post every single order myself down to, you know, writing little thank you cards that go in with every order. Um, so it's really personal for me and I think it, I think that's something that's probably lacking from fragrance that I like to think is, you know, something that I can bring to the the industry. Mm. And I guess still being a small business, you know, allows you to do that. To yeah, definitely. Have those interactions that make it probably more fulfilling for you as yeah. well. And I mean, have there ever been tough times when you thought about giving it away or has your passion for it sustained you? Oh, yeah, there's been more than a few times when I've just thought, I can't handle this anymore or it's getting hard. Um, we work, uh, natural perfumers are now working in an increasingly difficult regulatory area. There's a uh, self-appointed body called the IFRA, which is the International Fragrance Regulation Authority, who essentially are restricting the use of natural materials in perfume in favour of synthetic materials. Um, and they've really gained huge momentum to the point where so many of the classics even have had to be reformulated, like Chanel Number no. Five, um, Shalimar. All these iconic fragrances now are made with different materials because of wow. this uh, regulatory body. And the big perfume companies actually have, when they're mixing fragrances in, like you know these huge machines, if certain levels are detected of different natural materials, the machine will actually lock up and not mix. So, And what's the rationale? I mean, is it, it, um, is it it's safety? It's all about, <laughs> it is, but um, it's, I guess, we're living in a world where we we can be, I guess, hyper, hyper um, care, cautious about all these things and some of the allergens that 
they restrict, which are found in essential oils, are there's such a minute risk of actually being affected. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It, so it is an increasingly difficult um, field to work in mm. and there's always that risk of, oh, am I going to be able to use, you know, lavender oil? Am I going to – it? and we're just – the amounts we can use get smaller and smaller all the time. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's kind of a natural versus synthetic world, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So for you it's meant you've had to reformulate some of your products as well? Yeah, I do. So um, in Australia um, compliance with the IFRA is self, you're kind of like it's self-regulatory, so you don't actually, you're not legally forced to comply. Right. However, if you're selling in any overseas markets, especially Europe, you have to produce IFRA compliance certificates. And, um, yeah, so it's really hard to, um, really hard to formulate when you're so restricted on what you can use. And Mm. there's also that thing where I guess over the years I've grappled with, oh, you know, should I be using like a bigger palette that includes synthetic materials? And, the whole, you know, coming back to, you know, what I want to do and how will it affect my business if I can't use natural materials anymore, which would be obviously the end of my business. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it's a really interesting area. Right. Well, I mean, despite some of those challenges, you have continued to grow and you have a number of fragrances in your range, having started with your musk fragrance all those years ago. So how many fragrances do you have in the range now? Um, I think at the moment I've got around nine. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, so it's quite a lot. And do you have any particular bestsellers? Yeah, so um, Tropic Narcotic, which was released a couple of years ago, um, it's a very... Like I refer to it as like a tropical holiday in a bottle. So it's got a lot of notes of like monoy and jasmine and coconut. It's a very uh, tropical kind of fragrance, but not not like a tutti frutti kind of thing. It's it's <laughs> really like, yeah sophisticated. Um, that has actually been really really popular. It's become the best selling perfume that I've had. It's got a lot of um, press attention and a lot of like beauty editors have kind of been drawn to that particular fragrance mm. and it's just, yeah. It's yeah I noticed crazy. that Lee Campbell, who's a yes. beauty influencer at Mamma Mia, gave it a great rap. I think she said she it's did. her signature perfume. And yes. Didn't she compare it to a Tom Ford, yeah, like the natural equivalent to a Tom Ford yeah. fragrance, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> and that was... Um, that actually made me realise how much influence um, beauty influencers actually have in terms of sales. It was absolutely ridiculous. I think like my website crashed at one point. Um, I was literally inundated. I'd sold out of all my stock within a few hours and I was just literally like, how am I going to make enough of this to actually fulfil, you know, all the all this interest? Um, so that was definitely me just like, yeah, <laughs> having to really throw myself in there just to meet kind of all the orders that came from that. Um, yeah, so it was incredible. So what are you hoping to do next with the business? Ten years in? <laughs> yeah, ten years in. Um I'd like to, so my signature thing has always been the natural perfume oils. I'd like to expand into probably eau de parfum sprays um, and even maybe the homeware space. So 
room fragrance and things like that. I'd really like to look at that. And I also have um, one of my big dreams with the business is to have a key ingredient in each perfume that is sourced from a fair trade, sustainable kind of area of the world. Um, So that's something that I've been really looking at trying to implement. Mm. Um, Yeah, so that will be one of my... Great. My big things. And look, we're all about women making brave choices on this podcast. And it does take a pretty brave person to go out on your own and specialise in such a unique area. How have you found the courage to tread your own path and continue to do what you do? That is a really interesting question. Um, I don't really consider myself very brave or courageous or any more than any other woman out there. But I just think it it's my passion and like I was um, touching on before when I talked about finding that box of fragrance, I just love the idea that fragrance can anchor us to times in our lives and to people in our lives and to really special memories. Um, and that has really, I guess, been a driving force for me in continuing on with the business is the idea that you know, memories are so important and, you know, people aren't always going to be around us, you know. Um, so I think it's just, you know, making those memories for people that they can connect to special fragrances. That really drives me. That's lovely. Um, and I think a lot of us find inspiration from other women too, you know, whether it's looking to women who are doing things that we are inspired by or that might be working in our field. Who are the women who you look to and who inspire you? Well, I remember very early on going and meeting Anita Roddick, who founded The Body Shop. Um, She's passed away now, unfortunately. But I remember going and listening to her speak and meeting her afterwards. And she was just so inspirational to me because she was really, you know, out there as a woman and an activist. And she was really doing things at a time when other, you know, it wasn't really normal to be, you know, doing what her company was doing with the body shop. And I remember hearing her say, she always had people coming up to her saying, oh, well, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that? And she was really about picking your battle. So you, you're you not going to be able to do everything. So you need to really pick what your battle is going to be and just kind of go at it. And I just thought she was amazing. She just had this amazing energy and she was so committed to making a change in that industry and to helping other communities around the world. Mm. Um, personally, I think um, I'm very inspired by my sister. You know, she runs an amazing jewellery brand. She's very driven. Again, she's extremely creative and entrepreneurial She's so much more driven than I am and I always <laughs> look. We actually share a, a studio space together. Oh, nice. And um, I'm always like, wow, if I had like half her drive, <laughs> you know, things would be different. And also obviously losing, you know, my mum when I was young, she was like so influential to me and such a brave person, um, you know, like throughout her own um, battle with cancer, she was so incredibly strong and so brave. And I think that that's something that just you never really forget those, you know, struggles that you see people go through. Mm. Yeah. 
Last question. (laughs) If there's someone listening out there who's thinking, you know, they'd love to follow a creative passion of their own, um, perhaps start a business of their own, have you got any final tips for them? I would say, I don't know, for me, I always think about the sensible way to do it as opposed to just, you know, like jumping out there and just kind of jumping in the deep end. So for me, it was, I guess, having my design on the side at first that like kind of allowed me to grow that business on the side until I was, you know, I felt ready to kind of step into it in a more um, like substantial sense. But I think, yeah, I mean, you know, life's so short and I actually remember the day that I launched the website, I'd had it all ready to go for months and I was kind of like, I'm going to put this up there and no one's going to buy my products and it's (laughs) going to be a failure. And I remember the morning that I actually launched it, I hadn't planned to launch it that day. I'd gone to a funeral and it was um, someone that I'd known who very quickly um, got diagnosed with cancer and passed away. And I remember sitting through this like incredible eulogy that he'd written and I was sitting there thinking, you know, why why not now? Um, we don't know what is around the corner. Life's just way too short not to give things a go. And I literally went home that day and I was like, publish the website. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, build it and they will come. <laughs> and they did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Sal, it's been great to talk to you day, today. Thank you so much. Thank you so Congratulations much. on everything you've achieved. Oh, thank you so much. That was Sally Woodward Hawes, founder of Aromantic Natural Perfumes, which you can find at aromantic.com.au. We'll include a link and a limited time special offer for our listeners in the show notes. If you're enjoying these conversations, it would mean a lot if you could help spread the word. Tell a friend about us, share a link, or leave us a nice rating and review. And if you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Instagram at What She Did Next Podcast. What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.